Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. On. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of The Drive, Las Vegas edition. Today, I have a very special guest with me. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Big Al. Famous, I love that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, man? How you doing? (laughs) I was getting recognized with my mask on inside. I also keep getting approached. Everyone thinks I'm a hotel manager around here because I'm the only one wearing a suit. <laughs> well, it's a good looking suit, by the way. I noticed that. I was like, guy walking towards me. Oh, is he telling me I can't park there? Um, <laughs> hey, for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now and maybe don't know who you are or how you kind of got started yeah. in the business, I love kicking off these podcasts with a little origin story because I'm always fascinated to find out. So how did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? You know, it's it, it's a fun story to share. It's uh, because everyone makes that misunderstanding that uh, being an automotive that you just you're into cars and you love them, and uh, that's not why I got in business. I got in because I needed money. <laughs> I was broke. I literally had about seventy two dollars left in my bank account. Uh, I was doing uh, outside contract sales at the time, and I had no prospects. So I called my sister who worked at a car dealership. And I said, you think I could sell cars? <laughs> come on, you come try it out. And uh, went in, met with the manager. He hired me on the spot. And I sold 25 cars my first month. And hey, there you go. Had the biggest paycheck of my life. I was going to say that. I felt pretty good, did it? <laughs> never looked back. Never looked back. And just and it's, it's been, what, 21 years. So. Well, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, but it is one of those businesses that, you know, once you're in, you're in. Oh, it's, yeah, it's it, it's it's like the mob. You cannot escape it. <laughs> you can't get out. You can't get it. It'll suck you back yeah, in. Every single time. You just try it. People do it. It's like, oh, or my favorites when you have conversations with random people, they're like, oh, I used to sell cars. I don't do that anymore. So what you're saying is you were awful at it. <laughs> you're saying you're awful at it. Or, or my favorites, you, you go to a dinner party and someone asks you what you do and then you tell them and they're like, oh, let me tell you. And it's like, oh, man. I know. They, they always look at you. It's like, like, oh, you poor soul. How you poor soul. Yeah, they do yeah. kind of give you that sympathy look, doesn't yeah, it? Like, oh, I just, <laughs> just wipe the tears with dollar bills. Wipe the tears with dollar bills. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> well, we got some cool topics we're going to jam about yeah. today. And, you know, the first one is BDC. Yeah. Which which I love it. I mean, I, that's how I started. I, I, my, I was in sales, but I really made my career in the BDC. And actually, at that time, they didn't even call it the BDC. We called it the Internet Department. Yeah, Internet Department. Well, so I'm like, yeah, you know, to date myself a little bit on that. When I started working Internet leads, they came over via fax machine. Okay, yeah, you know, well, so, I, I do remember that, though, too. You know, so that that's when we started working. But I fell in love with the concept of selling to someone where you didn't see them face-to-face. Yeah. Uh, because realize you can really control that conversation via emails, well-worded emails, mm-hmm. and get that dialogue going. I remember the the time it really got the hooks in me. I had a, an owner's daughter. He hired to do this job, and she knew nothing. So every time she get an email, she would come to me, and I'd tell her word for word how to respond to somebody in an email. And there you go. You're going to die, <laughs> sir, if you don't walk. But anyway, so like we went back and forth on a conversation with the customer. Sometimes the customer was talking to me. Sometimes they were talking to her, even yeah. though I was in control of the words the entire time. 
and uh, it just I, I just fell in love with that. It is fun, isn't it? Like I mean, I just like you know I remember like you know early early AOL. You remember that chime noise it made when like there was something oh. in your inbox. <laughs> That, now you couldn't do that anymore because all you would hear all day long would be like, oh, ding, oh, ding, oh, ding. <laughs> Every time I turn my phone off, vibrated. I realize why I keep it there. <laughs> but I loved, I loved getting that notification. Oh, Mr. Johnson just got back to me. Like it was exciting. You know, the only problem about BDCs now is that we've turned it into something. And when I say we, the industry's yes. turned it into something that quite frankly, it's more of a nuisance for customers than it is an asset to customers. Well, yeah, because we're treating it as like a call center, not as a business development center. Yeah, they're, they're, exactly. What, what do we have these people doing? They're not developing business. They're handling the traffic that our marketing created for us. Yes. It's already coming to us. Why do we, you know, so like I always use this analogy with people. Think about how did we sell cars in 1950 compared today? You did some kind of advertising to spark an interest, that person contacted the dealership, they bought a car. It's the exact same thing now. The only thing we've added is how many people you have to talk to to get yes. to the end. You better, get, you better get your 60 an hour. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, you know, and again, it's, I'm not here trashing BDCs and saying they're wrong. It's just, I think dealers really need to focus is that, is the BDC of value to the customer? Yes. Or is it a value to their personal time? And I think more often than not, it's about a value of time. You know, you hear it all the time. Oh, our salespeople don't have time to do that. But yeah, they do. I see them taking 25 smoke breaks a day. 100%. Well, you know, I've actually started to see, you know, some progressive dealerships actually start changing the title, which I think is super cool, right? No, absolutely. You know, like I have one dealership that calls it uh, their relationship management team. Okay. And and that's what, and, and they're not measuring the quantity of calls that are being made, but the quality of the calls that are happening. And, and that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a mind switch, but I remember early BDC, that was the point. Like it was our, it was the BDC's job because maybe the sales team just, some people were grabbing, but most of them weren't mm -hmm. of maintaining a relationship. Hence reason why we call them CRMs. <laughs> Well, no, it's uh, no, it's an interesting point right there because yeah, in general, like you said, as as far as maintaining that relationship, it's just understanding, you know, you're going to get to the finish line. Yeah. Okay, the the road to the sale hasn't changed. It's just you have to go through every step, and yes. it may take just a little bit longer. But as long as we are looking out for the consumer and the customer's best interest, you're going to win in the end every uh, single time. Hundred percent. You know, I don't know about you, but um, you know, in in Canada, you know, things were super interesting. You know, especially well, like, politics and just everything else. I mean, we, we've just, gone through- Just the Canadian culture in general. Yeah, yeah. that too. Um, <laughs> and I'm okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm a permanent resident. I've been there for 12 years, but I was born in Idaho. So I'm, I get to play kind of both sides of the fence on it, right? Um, but you know, because of these like rolling lockdowns uh, that we were running, that we, that we had for the last, you know, two years, is, you know, you see dealership bringing back certain staff and not others right mm -hmm. and I just found so many dealerships not bringing back their BDCs but then I'd have a small group of dealerships that were like that's the first people they brought back you know and it makes sense you know so like you know we got 17 stores right now yep. and people ask me all the time what's our BDC model and I'll tell you we don't have one you know, because every store, every operation is going to work a little different. I have multiple stores that don't have DVCs at all. 
Their, okay. their salespeople work the leads, cradle to grave, and they do great. Yeah. I have other stores. They run their BDCs as appointment centers, you know, old school. Okay, just dial the phone as much as possible, set as many appointments. Uh, and they all have levels of success. Yeah. You know, the, the true key is, uh, is that in the store management, the leadership is behind whatever decision you have right there. Yes. You know, it's... I tend to lean towards the direction of what's the best for the consumer. I try to think of what kind of shopping experience mm -hmm. I want when I go out and I want the least frustrating ones possible. Like I said, you know, all we've done is add how many people you talk to. I don't want to have to call and talk to Bob and then talk to Jim and then Mary and then Ted. Well, and, and, that, and, and, that's, and that's a great point because I can tell you how many BDCs I've gone in to consult with and, you know, find out that they're really just kind of glorified receptionists. Yeah, and, because and, they're, and they're just transferring stuff back and forth and they're and get, not empowered to actually take ownership of anything. Given strict instruction not to answer specific questions. Oh, no, if they ask that question, you, you got to turn it Do over. Do it that way. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm seeing. Look, I, but I think that there's a growing population of dealers that are understanding the benefits of you know building out a, a relationship management team. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but I, I think for a lot of dealerships out there, there there's a fear behind doing it. So for the, what would you say to the dealerships out there that may be listening to us and agreeing okay. with us and shaking their hands? Yeah, guys, I'm with you. I'm with you. But I just don't know how to get started. You know, I think I think step number one is going to like what you said earlier is redefining the name of that department. Mm. You know, it's because there's a stigma there. You take your and not only is there a stigma, but there's a gross difference in pay where a tr in my opinion, a true BDC manager or whatever you want to call that department is just another sales manager. Yeah. They should be paid as everybody else on the desk because they are managing your traffic. They are selling customers and they should be qualified to desk a deal. They should be qualified to read a credit application. They should be qualified to have a true trade conversation with somebody over the phone. You know, and when we don't put those people in that department, that's where we're really hurting ourselves. So yeah. it's, Number one, putting the training that's necessary for this. I think that's a big one. I mean, look, guys, the 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 internet department that I was called. You know, we I think our, my web my dealership at the time they got their first dealer.com website maybe like two thousand two. Okay, that sounds about right. Um, you know, and we had this internet department built out by '04 and '05, and then it got really big in '06. Um, but we we did it from A to Z. Yeah, because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't proactive BDC that was coming out and telling us like how to do it and what to do. It was just, you know, it was like, no, you get someone on the phone that wants to buy a car. Well, sell them one. <laughs> like, it, well, there wasn't even any other logic to it. Well, the analogy I use for all of our, all our stores, anytime I walk into a BDC, they're like, well, hey, this manager told me to do this. This manager told me that. And I'm like, listen, have you ever been fishing? Yeah, we've all been fishing from time to time. And what do you do when you fish? You cast a lot, you cast a lot, you reel a lot, you don't catch a lot of fish. Yeah. But every once in a while, you get a bite, you get one on the hook. Now, when you're fishing, do you put your fishing pole down and run and go tell somebody I got one? Or do you reel it in? <laughs> yes. And that's what, you know, we train these BDCs to do. Oh, you got one on the hook. All right, we'll have somebody call you back. Or let me try to transfer you. And then you transfer them to a number where nobody's at. We, it's, uh, we it had just managers sense. that were working 
in the BDC with us. So, you know, back then, well, it was a GM dealership and there was a whole hell of a lot of rules. I mean, it was the wild, wild west, right? right? Yeah. right. There wasn't these things called like PMAs and stuff. And it was like, we could drop ship Corvettes to Dubai. We can send dualies to Alaska. As long as we we're punching numbers, really, they didn't give a crap, you know? Um, but but that BDC got to a point where we were, we were drop shipping 80, 90, 100 units a month and literally became another dealership within this small group. Oh. You know, it was unfortunate that 2007, 2008 came and you know, the group that I was working for, one of the first few to actually take out the money and go and run, but we had something really cool going then. Let's keep having the qualified people dealing with that right now. Yeah. And especially nowadays, you know, even, I mean, the consumer base was prepared to do this 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. But even more now, it's like, you know, when the pandemic started, you know, I remember a conversation I had with my mom. She's like, hey, I, for the first time I ordered groceries online, I went to the grocery store and they put them <laughs> in my trunk. And I'm like, mom, I've been doing that for four years. It's, that's not a new concept. But, you know, people are used to making decisions where they don't have to come into the store. Yes. And so if I'm on the phone with you right now, give me honest answers. You know, it's like we've run in this fear. And I remember when I first started selling cars to train, it's like, don't quote anything on the phone. Do this because they're going to shop your price. They're going to do that. Well, guess what? They're doing that no matter what. Yep. And if you don't answer them, if you don't help them, you're just eliminating yourself as an opportunity. They won't even consider you. I, I'm 100% with you. I think anybody out there that's running a BDC and is listening or maybe watching to this podcast right now is that empower that department. It has to. All right. You know, give them the ability to handle the entire transaction. You know, consumers don't want to be hand, you know, handed off back and forth. You know, I loved you brought up the, the, the groceries. Yes. Um, uh, you know, for your mom, because I mean, I, I honestly, I can never imagine myself going back into a grocery store. Like I got three kids, man. Like it is full on like a black ops scenario. Every time I got to take my three kids and we're going in, we're going stuff, we're coming out. <laughs> my wife asked me to pick up two things from the grocery store. I was in there for an hour because I couldn't find them. I don't know where anything is. I hate it. It's you know, uh, but, and, and, and I look at that and I kind of look like, you know, it reminds me a lot of what we've done with digital retailing, right? Right. Like we've, it, it's a great idea. Um, but I'm a little concerned where certain maybe vendors are, are kind of taking it. It's like, you know, to me, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but to me, digital retailing is a process that is then supported by tech. I think for a lot, it's the other way around, but I'd love to get your thoughts. No, I agree 100% because that's what everyone's been talking about for several years now. Yeah. And and I first of all, I hate the term digital retailing. I do it's, too. It's modern, it's modern retailing. It's what it is. Yes. And, and the thing about it is everyone's trying to look for this end all be all for someone to be able to buy a vehicle online. Well, yeah. guess what? Nobody's buying vehicles online. There's not one person, and take a look, look at the big ones, Vroom, uh, Carvana, you know, where yeah. it's like, oh, look at this. They put this where people, guess what? They, they still have human interaction. Of course. Vroom, that's all it is, is a BDC of people who are qualified finance managers that are getting on the phone. They're still having a human element. You know, the the thing in digital retailing, again, going back to what consumer needs are, what, what does the consumer want? They want it to be fast and they want it to be easy. Yes. They're not saying I don't want to talk to you. No. Just make it fast and easy for yeah. me. Well, you know, or even just let me decide how much time I want to invest into yes. it. You know, I think that's the thing. Like, you know, I was I was talking to this dealer and they got this process and it's a big, big part of the marketing strategy. Like one hour in and out. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. 
what if I what if I want to take more than an hour? Like, you know, I mean, I'm just yeah. thinking like, you know, the first time I bought a car, like, I was insanely nervous. I was insanely nervous to go through the whole process. And I actually had an amazing salesperson that sold me my first car. And I bet you it was six hours I spent at the dealership because, but I, I wanted to feel confident and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like we just kind of want to like shove people into this process. Well, and I think the biggest misconception too, and I keep hearing the stats and, you know, we sit, as we're sitting here, digital dealer, you yeah. know, all this stuff right here <laughs> is a majority of consumers aren't even craving to have that. It's like, it's mm. like we assume that they all want to have that, you know, there's a big part of the population that don't, will never even go there. I mean, let's just, you know, if we start throwing uh, spy fi into it. You know, that's never going to be an end-all, be-all online purchase. No. They just want to be able to, again, when they, when they're ready to talk to you, just talk to me and have a normal conversation. Availability. Don't have, all right, I just worked your glorified payment calculator that somebody <laughs> sold me as a digital retailing tool. And after I go through that whole step, I end up talking to someone at your store and they say, all right, when can you come in? It's, I don't want to come in. Yeah, I want like, you to answer the one question. It, it asked me about my interest rate. What's my payment? Help me out, and then deliver the car to my house. When I mean, when we bought our Armada uh, just recently, not that long ago, um, I did ninety eight percent of it via just tax. And that's just because for me, that's the easiest way for me to communicate. So, like, I, I'm trying to get me on the phone, that's tough. But you ask me to respond to an email, okay, get in line with the other 300 I got in my inbox. Yeah, before digital retailing was a buzzword, yeah. I was selling cars to people's doorstep nonstop. That's why my customers bought for me, because yes. they could shoot me a text or call me and say, Al, I need a new Silverado. Great, I'll have it delivered to your, st- your house tomorrow. And I would do it, you know, I'd dig yeah. up their old paperwork, I'd call their insurance company, you know, I'd email over a credit app if I had to do that, you know, but what was I doing? I was making it easy for them, 100%. You can get it to find the process and then work back towards the technology. Now, I think at least in our group, and you know, I'm sure a lot of other stores through the pandemic realized is they were forced to talk to customers in the uncomfortable way, which is via text message, yeah. phone and email, which is uncomfortable for desk managers. They yeah. want that customer in front of them. I think a lot of people saw it because I think their biggest fear was that they would lose gross. Yes. They don't do that. And I think, and I know for a fact in our stores, they realized that's not the case. As a matter of fact, we saw an increase in profit because they stopped shopping you as much because you were making it fast and easy for them. And let's remember, yeah. we will all pay a premium for convenience. 100%. We do all the time. Why do you valet park and yeah. pay for that? It's easy. Yes. Why do you pay money to pick your groceries up? Because it's easy. Because it, it is easy. You know, here's here's my issue I'm going to run into digital retailing right now is I feel like as an industry, we're going to screw up a good idea. Okay. Right. right? Yeah. And, you know, I was sitting down with a big group that I work with and they had their their digital retailer on the phone and they were reviewing stats and they were reviewing leads. I'm like, leads? Wait a second. This is supposed to be a tool that's supposed to help people through a purchasing process. Why the are we talking about leads? And I and, and that seems to be the big question right now. Like, well, how many leads is my digital retailing product gonna do? Like, God, we screw shit up, don't it we? It's so ironic <laughs> that you say that. I'm not gonna name the vendor, but they were giving me a pitch on how they use the same vendor. <laughs> they have the best digital retailing tool on the market. It does this. And then as we continue on the conversation, I said, I'm like, 
I kept pushing them. It's like, well, first of all, in Michigan, you know, yeah. where most of my stores are, mm -hmm. you know, we still need wet ink. Okay, you know, yeah. so you'll never be able to perfectly sign online. Yep. You're gonna have to get a piece of paper delivered to you, which by the way, that's what Carvana does. They <laughs> ship paperwork to your yep. house. Uh, and then he finally, after being on the phone with him for about 35 minutes, he goes, well, yeah, we'll produce more leads than anybody else. And I'm like, so just admit it, you're a lead generator. Exactly. You're not a digital retailing tool. You're a glorified lead payment calculator. That's what it is. Yeah. You're dealing with the exact same frustration. And I think anybody that's watching and listening to us, maybe you guys are feeling some of the same frustration, but you know, if you are, you know, going down the path of digital retailing, yeah. we're not telling you not to do no, it. No, absolutely. It's just, it, it's one of those things don't look at any of the tool, and I've used almost all of them, and I'm great friends with a lot of people who work a lot of the companies. Don't let the tool define your process. Yeah. Let it complement your process. Because like you said, if any any store that has top performing salespeople that, you know, selling 20, 30 cars a month, they're already doing it on their own. They're texting their customers back and forth. They're delivering cars to their house. They're already doing it without any of the tools you have to pay for. Yes. And so it's figure out what your process is in your store, and use whatever tool helps complement your process. That's what's important. Yeah, this is not a uh, quick diet pill. No. This is not a, an easy button, all right? Like you, you do have to put in the work, And but I find the dealerships that do take that those steps, all right? They're usually pretty successful with it. Well, and and you said it earlier, and that's the reason my finance director is out here this uh, <laughs> this trip as well, is that we, you need to get finance involved. Forget, forget sales manager. You need to get the qualified person who can discuss true numbers based off their credit, yep. real payments, real time. And once you get that element and part of your process, I mean, once you do that, you really don't need to pay any money for some of these tools. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But then look, when we're talking about the BDC and we're talking about these tools, I mean, look, the, the, the ultimate goal is to generate new prospects. And yeah. these are all variations of prospecting. And I love prospecting, by the way. You know, I've, like, I think of some of the first stuff I did when I was a young salesman. Like, I, I used to go through a box of business cards a month. And my control, the controller, how the hell? Like I have people that have been here for five years and haven't gone through a box of business cards. I'd go to the, I'd go to the mall across the street from the dealership and during my lunch and as I was eating my burrito, I'd be walking through it and just be sticking my cards. I'm like, I want that I truck, I want that truck, I want that truck. <laughs> I used to go to sporting events and put my business card on every chair I walked by. There you go. No, but you know, prospecting, it's, it, here's the thing is we don't even teach it to people in our stores no. anymore. We do, it, I don't know what it looks people like. People talk about it. And it's it's a big frustration I see all the time because what, what do you get? You get a sales manager going to a salesperson or a BDC agent and they just say the same thing to them all the time. Get on the phone, make some calls, make some calls. I need 30 <laughs> calls a day. I need 40 calls a day. But they never take the time to say, what do you say when that person picks up? Yeah. What's the conversation you're going to have? Yes. You know, and I like to spend time with, you know, consultants that we have. It's like, all right, look at this person. All right, take a moment to read it. When they pick up their phone, what's the conversation you're going to have? Mm -hmm. Because back when I was still selling cars, I tracked it. I'm, I'm, I'm a big numbers guy. Me too. And I, I tracked it for every 10 meaningful conversations I had that involved buying a car yielded one car sale. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So every single day, I would not go home unless I had 10 meaningful conversations. Yeah. And whether that's I'm pulling somebody out of the service lane, I'm going through my book of business and I'm calling, hey, Jason, I realized I just sold a car to you last week, but my well's dry. You have any friends or neighbors in the market? Well, 100%. And I, I got to be honest with you, like there are times where 
I almost think like maybe I should go back into sales because prospecting today is so bloody easy. If you have one of these things, all right, talk about 10 meaningful conversations, you could have 50 meaningful conversations in a day socially. Well, and that's, and that's again, going into that prospecting and understanding how to use it, how to get those conversations going on. Because yeah. I'd be walking into about 15 sessions that are gonna go on over the next couple of days about how you, to use social media to grow your business. <laughs> but all we're teaching people is how, how do you make a bunch of posts and get a bunch of likes? Yep. You're not teaching somebody how to engage the person when they actually have questions. Like, it's hey terrible. Al, I wanna buy a car. Oh, cool. I got 13 likes. I don't know what to say to him. It's like, when can you come in? That's the only thing I know how to say. Yeah. I mean, like just engage with people. Right. Yeah. And, but, but we're not, we aren't teaching people how to do that. And, and when we do, when, and when people do engage with them, they're like, Hey, thanks for the like of my picture. You want to buy a car? Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, it's and the, the biggest misstep I see all the time is a lot of people don't understand that answering somebody's question isn't necessarily giving somebody a quote. No. You know, somebody says it all the time. It's like, Hey, you know, how much, does a new Silverado lease? I don't know, $300, $400? Yeah. There's an answer. I don't know sure. what the real payment is, but guess what? I gave you some kind of answer to keep a conversation going. Yes, exactly. You know, you can respond to me after that. Like, that's ridiculous. I don't want to pay that much. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Now let's overcome that objection. That's what true, true salesmanship is. Well, and, and you know what it is? It, it's funny that you say that because once you do get to talk to someone, you know, we're not teaching, we're not teaching people how to engage. But that's the other thing is we don't also don't measure it that way. Like we don't measure the engagement. No, we measure the appointments. Like, did you get an appointment from this? I don't know, this social media thing. I mean, how many, how many appointments did you generate last week? Yeah, that's why it's like, I get some of the stores. Yeah, it's like, hey, we have 50 appointments for tomorrow and 30 of them are no shows <laughs> because I was forced to make an appointment in the CRM as opposed to having a good conversation and a good engagement with somebody. Yeah, see, I think that's, that's I'd like to see more of that in the industry where, where we have the ability to track more meaningful conversations, right? So I know I know some big groups and some some guys at big groups and they, they have moved over to, those are some of the stats that they look at with their employees. Yeah. Not, not how many phone calls. Or how, how many, many follow-ups or any, yeah. You know, in time of conversations. Yes. You know, it's like, I need you to make at least five conversations every day that are over four minutes long. Yeah. Now it seems like four minutes, that isn't that long, but sometimes, you know, you think of some of these phone conversations, people be on the phone 90 seconds, like when can you come in, when can you come in? Do you want to make an appointment? Do you want to make an appointment? I don't want to do any of that until you answer my questions and make me feel comfortable about moving forward. Well, that's true because I find sometimes that the length of the conversation, uh, it, it, the quality of it could actually go both ways. It could, the reason it could be long because we're not giving them the information or it's because it's going the right way. But you know, it's like phone tracking and recording, recording conversations, that's not new. I text been around forever, yeah. but I still even today don't know of a whole lot of managers will actually go back and listen to them. I used to go through the report and I just identified anything over three and a half minutes. Right. So I just listened to everything that was three and a half minutes and then just kind of go into it, listen for some tonality, listen to the tonality of other customers. If it was good, it was good. Cool. That was a good one. Well, it's not only are they not going back and listening to them, but when they do, what are they doing with that knowledge? Are they yes. using it to chastise their employee or are they pulling everybody into a room? This is, this is my favorite phone training. It's like, and I do like seminars, like where I get up with my PowerPoints and do phone training and all that stuff. Yeah. But my favorite type of phone training is pulling a group of five to eight people in a room. All right, guys, let's all listen to a bunch of calls. Who's called? We're gonna listen to each other's calls. And then when we're done with that, let's go around the room. How did that go? What was done well? What was done poorly? What can we approve on? And that's real learning that people can get to make themselves better. Yes. 
I'd I love to kind of get your thoughts on training, just kind of overall, right? Because I get, <laughs> I feel sometimes in our industry that training uh, for a lot of dealerships out there is just like checking out the proverbial box. It's like, check, I did it. Well, the, the biggest problem that I have noticed in my career with training is having the discipline to stick with it. Mm. And understanding that, hey, listen, I just sent you to an hour and a half session to learn how to get better at something. You're not going to walk out of that session 100% better. You know, one of the things I always say, you know, like when I, whenever I'm doing any kind of training, it's like, listen, I'm going to spend a half hour to an hour with you yep. right now. You determine where your skill set is. You know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, you rate yourself. Okay. So if you think you're a seven in a skill set, our goal is for you to walk out of here being an eight. There you go. You're not going to be a 10, let's be an eight. And then we're going to put that into practice. We're going to review what we practice and stick with it. No, but what we do is we hire trainers. This is what a lot of big groups do. They hire a trainer to come in and train their people. Senior management does not participate in the training. Oh, yeah. And the people come back and start trying to apply things that were taught. And they say, well, don't do that. Don't stick with that. And then they blame the trainer for not improving their staff. And then the cycle just starts all over again. <laughs> oh, yeah. We tried them. Oh, yeah. They came out for like a month. We're done with them. I met a dealer the other night. I mean, Super nice gal, like super, super nice gal, right? But we got to into the conversation of training. She goes, yeah, I've gone through five. I'm like, what? How, how, yeah, last five years, gone through like five training companies. And I'm like, how do you go through five training companies in five years? Like, were, were there not really clearly defined goals and objectives or wow. what happened? All right, well, we're getting towards the tail end of our conversation. Yeah. But there was one more topic I wanted to bring up. Uh, it, <laughs> you brought it up. No, well, it like, no this, goes okay. ba- this goes back to, it ties in with prospecting and trading. All right, so okay. I told you I hate the motivational memes that yes. everybody p- puts up at their desk or they post them on their LinkedIn page and Facebook. I completely hate that shit. Can I say that? Yes. All right. Uh, completely hate it because, again, it goes back to training. I walk into offices and I see this, you know, it's like, if you believe it, it will happen like that. No, you work your butt off to make it happen. And the point is, is a meme is cute, but nobody's teaching you how to put that stuff in practice. It's true. You know, and it's like, so it's like, I see all this, it's like, I'm just going to be positive. Well, what, what steps are you going to do to be positive yeah. today? What does that no, because I've seen you being negative, but you have a meme. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> but no, look, I- <laughs> They're awful. It's, Seriously, it's awful. if don't, you have them up, I'll rip them. Good thing you don't have any in the car. I would have just thrown them up. Well, you know what? I actually did have a social media manager that was, you know, handling some of our social efforts. And for a while there, she was putting them up. And and, and I kind of like, I was like, okay, because the engagement was high on them. So I was like, all right, all right, all right. But eventually I just got to the point where I was just getting like, I'm like, no, like some of them I just totally disagreed with. I was just like, ah, nah, let's skip this one. You know, it's like, what's the purpose of it? You know, now it's like, I like to, and there are a few things that I've said in some of our stores where like people go, oh, I like that. And they Mm -hmm. break that quote down. But as long as they understand what it's, and, and the biggest one actually, and I like this one here that I teach people all the time is, you know, stop listening to customers' words and just listen to their message. We get, so oh, like we, get, we get so focused on individual words they say, like, I don't want my payment to go up. 
as opposed to their message. And their message is, I want a new car and I'm going to pay whatever it actually costs. Yep. And sometimes, so, so many times we get focused on those words as opposed to the message. <laughs> That's true. I see it all the time. Well, well, Al, we've covered some really, really cool topics. Uh, and for everybody out there that's watching and listening who would love to connect with you and maybe even continue some of this conversation, what's the best way to do so? Oh, gosh. You got all my social media and yeah. put all this yeah. stuff out there. That's the best way. Just hook you up on Reach LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn Instagram, <laughs> Facebook. All, well, don't. I try to keep Facebook to individuals I actually know. I'm with you. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, you got LinkedIn and Instagram, Twitter for there all that go. stuff. But I mean, I post pictures of my kids and stuff on Facebook, you know, so. But yeah, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn and that's uh, definitely the best way. I talk to just about everybody unless you're just trying to cold call me and pitch me stupid <laughs> stuff. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I, bumped into three, I bumped into three people today. They're like, you never return my messages. I'm like, stop cold calling stop me. Stop cold calling Start having a conversation. <laughs> Man, this has been awesome. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, thank I really you. had a lot of fun. Yeah.